So, we're going to close out today with one more reading from Romans 7. This has been the anchor scripture for us. And it says this, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold as a slave to sin. For I do not understand what I'm doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is the sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there's no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. For in my inner self, I delight in God's law. But I see a different law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body of death. Paul would go on to write about this man named Jesus, who we're going to celebrate Advent season, the coming of Jesus, in this next month. But today, as we close out our series seven, I want to speak to you from the subject, more than a mouthful. More than a mouthful as we deal with the issue of gluttony. Come on, somebody who's excited about that. Right before Thanksgiving. Yes. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We pray that you would speak to us now. Uh, Our ears are open. Our heart is ready to receive your word. Teach us right now in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, I got three kids. Uh, I talk about them a lot. Nine, eight, and two. My boy right now is eating like a monster, like, like just feeding, like ravis, like just everywhere food. He's eating, eating, eating. He's getting taller and taller. I got off the couch yesterday and I looked at him and I leaned over to Erica. I was like, that boy's tall. Like, I don't know what's going on. So hopefully he's, he's a baller and uh, helps us retire. Um, so, so he's eating, but here, here's a habit that he started to form that we started to realize is that this kid, when he eats, I don't know if he knows how to chew. Um, <laughs> Anybody else have that problem, <laughs> right? It's like double fisting at all times. Like food goes in, food goes in, food goes in. And he doesn't even make chewing noise. It's like, <laughs> like that's the sound that he makes. It's almost just air, like backing in after the food. He's like swallowing. So the other day he's eating and he chokes because he's putting so much food in his mouth. He's like choking. And I was like, son, like I put my hand on his shoulder. And I was like, buddy, you need to chew your food. When you put it in your mouth, God gave us teeth. The Lord designed those to mash your food, making it palatable for us to be able to swallow appropriately. That is what we do with our mouths, right? Oh, okay, Dad. So he's doing this thing. But he's got another habit. Not just does he wolf it down, he likes to steal people's food. Some of you know what I'm talking about. So like with his sister Shiloh, I give a little bit more grace. Like he can steal his sister's food. She gets crazy about it. But the other day, he stole stole mom's food. And I thought she was going to stab his hand with a fork. She gets, she got, she, she got, hey! What are you talking about? And so, he's in, and he's got this sneaky thing. He'll like sneak by. And he'll... <laughs> and it's in. And so we're working with him on this food thing. And it's, it's hilarious to watch. I, I don't know about you, but maybe you'd agree with me on this. Food, for most of us, it's the center of our lives. No one's like, I'm not raising my hand right now. Where are we going with this? It's not a trigger. How many of you agree with me? Food makes up a large portion of our lives. Like, it, it's, most times it's the center of everything we do. We're watching food documentaries now. I don't know if you've ever seen any of these on, on Netflix. Food document. We just watched Game Changers. Have you seen this? Game Changers is an entire documentary on going plant-based in your diet. Some of you are there. I think it's a sin. Um, but, just like, <laughs> so, but 
it was hilarious because we're watching this thing and I, we got to the end of it and I leaned over to Erica. I was like, we're going plant-based. Like we are only eating vegetables. We are only eating plant. Like it had me, Arnold Schwarzenegger was on there. He's like, I eat the broccoli. Like that's like, <laughs> he's like, I eat the broccoli. And, the, and, and he was going for it. I was like, if Arnold's doing it, I can do it. And they're showing all of these sports people and everything like that. I was like, we're going plant-based, babe. That's like what our life is going to be. She's like, no, you can. I'm going to stay where I'm at, <laughs> on the meat eater side of things. And so food, if we really look at it, everywhere we go is food. Every meeting that we have, there's a, there's a degree potentially of, of food. I know every meeting that we have here as a staff, food, food's involved. Everything that we do, food seems to be involved. And here we are talking about this issue of gluttony. Every shot gluttony? Okay. And these pictures, these images that I've just kind of created for you to see, I think they're funny, they're humorous, and, and for most of them, I wouldn't say that justice, my son, is dealing with gluttony or anything like that, but I think it points the picture, it gives us the idea that food is a part of everything that we do. And as I've dug into this issue, I don't know if you would realize this, this series, for me, as we've done deep dives on each of these issues, I've realized the things that we thought they were, they weren't, and there was a whole lot more going on. Would you guys agree with me on that one? In every single one of these messages, everybody, I've heard so many people just like, I did not realize that that's what this meant. And I want to I engage us today with this idea right out the gate that gluttony is not what we think it is. Okay? Gluttony is not what we think it is. See, gluttony is a sin that nobody wants to confess to. Not in any serious way, at least. But at the same time, we're all convinced that we know a glutton. Right? They're a glutton. This is just my cheat day. <laughs> right? That's the things that we say. See, when most of us hear the term gluttony, we think of overeating, being overweight. But those are only possible symptoms, not definitions. They're misguided, inappropriate, and insufficient oversimplifications. So let's get one thing out of the way right now at the beginning of this message today. Being overweight is not a sin biblically just because we act as if it's one culturally. Just pause there for a second. Because that's, that's something that we need to grab a hold of. Because in no way do I want to sitting in here because this message is very touchy for some of us. This message is going to be very difficult for some of us because, because of the, the, the topic and, the, and the, the matter that we're dealing with. But we need to know that being overweight is not a sin biblically just because we act as if it's one culturally. We all have different body types. This is not about shame. This is not about guilt. And this is not even a dietary plan. We're not talking about the foods you should eat and shouldn't eat. Gluttony is so much more than food. Can I get an amen? amen. Okay. It's deeper than that. So what is gluttony? Check this out. Gluttony is an over-reliance on food to fix us or fulfill us. Gluttony places food at the center of our existence, exaggerating its importance. Gluttony acts as if eating the right amount of the right thing at the right time will make everything all right. It's an attempt to regulate our emotions solely with what we put in our mouths. For the glutton, being happy or unhappy boils down to what we ate. What I want to eat, what I have to eat, what I can't eat, what I probably shouldn't have eaten. As a vice, gluttony is about a habitual desire to fix myself with food. So here's the question I want us to ask today. How does the mundane act of taking in food impact our spiritual life? Because this is what we're really dealing with here. At the end of the day, this issue of gluttony, what we're trying to do is we're trying to create a sacred understanding of food. And for many of us, we actually don't have a sacred understanding of it. We simply look at it as food we eat. If it's around, we eat it. And we don't look at food. Like, when was the last time that you looked at food spiritually? Like, for some of us, we're going to look at our turkeys different this week. <laughs> There's like a halo over it, <laughs> right? 
so we're searching for the, the sacred. And what's really cool is that at the end of the day, the Bible has a design. God's word, God's intent, God's plan for all of these areas of our life. There's actually a design behind it. There is a spiritual, sacred reality to food and how we look at it, how we deal with it. You know, it's interesting that the enemy can take a simple thing like food and bring shame and guilt into it in order to build a trap that's kept people ensnared for generations. You ever notice that? Here, let's be really clear about this. The enemy has no authority in our lives. But he loves to mess with them. Right? And so what's interesting is that the devil will, because he doesn't have authority, he will use things that we need that have been created by God to ensnare us and trap us as we misunderstand them and don't use them appropriately. And that's what he's done with food. Let me show it to you biblically. Check this out. Matthew 4. And he's always been doing it. Matthew 4, 1 through 4. I want to make sure that some of us are like, well, you're going really deep with this food thing. Where are we coming from? Watch this. This is insane. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he'd fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Then the tempter approached him, the tempter approached him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, it is written, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first temptation that Jesus faced was about food. If I can get him to take what he needs in this moment, being provided by me in this moment, then I can trap him and ensnare him. And Jesus said, no, 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 man doesn't live by bread alone. But who doesn't want a good loaf of carbohydrates? Especially, have you ever waited for bread in Cheesecake Factory? Come on, somebody. (laughs) As with lust, gluttony is all about the misuse of an original good given to us by God in order to provide for ourselves. At the end of the day, we use food to provide what God has for us. The devil tried to use these things, mismanage these things, break these things, so that as we take them in, we become trapped by them. In other words, it's less about what we eat and more about why we are eating. It's not about how much we weigh, but the weight that we give food. It's not about how fat or thin someone is, but about how obsessed they are with where they fit into those categories. Come on. Gluttony sees food as the ultimate authority. It has the power to make or to break me. It is in control of me. I am not in control of it. The problem is that God's design for food and our culture's redefinition of food is what has created a dynamic to the vice of gluttony that enslaves many of us unknowingly and without bounds. We have been trapped by something that we did not even realize was an issue. At its core, so we've been, we've been stripping down each of these vices, each of these seven deadly sins as we've been talking about. We've been stripping them down to their core. So here, if we're looking for the core thought of what gluttony is, check this out, is emotional escapism. We are eating to avoid what is eating away at us. And we do this with food in order to receive what Rebecca DeYoung would call unrestricted pleasure. Which our culture and society deems as the highest value of our existence. Do this with unrestricted pleasure. Do this unrestricted pleasure. Do do all of these things. It's unrestricted pleasure. Isn't that the theme of Vegas? What stays in, like what happens in Vegas stays in. What all the unrestricted pleasure, it stays here. We want you to just live free. Unrestricted pleasure. And we do it with everything. And so we've got 
to deal with this. And this is not a new concept. Check this out. Listen to what the writer of Ecclesiastes pins for us. Ecclesiastes 6-7. All of a person's labor is for his stomach, yet the appetite is never satisfied. It's never satisfied. Gluttony is about using food for a pleasure fix. Because we're not satisfied in the moment. And because it's such a broad topic, gluttony plays out in many different ways in our lives. You ready to discover where it plays out? Okay, I just want everybody to know, these are, these are hard. Okay, we've got to assimilate these, but we've got to look at what this is. Check this out. It's believing our, wor- our worth is rooted in what we weigh and how we look. It's choosing meals based on what we want to eat over who we want to eat with. It's hating our body or being overly proud of it. It's assuming people have deficiencies in their life because of their weight. It's believing our life would be so much better if we could just lose like 10 pounds. It's scheduling our entire day around food. It's being able to enjoy a get-together because the food wasn't really what we wanted. It's hiding or hoarding certain foods to enjoy later in secret. This is like every parent. (laughs) It's eating primarily because we are sad, bored, angry, or lonely. Feeling the need to reward ourselves after a difficult day with an edible tree. Gluttony. See, the subtlety of gluttony is that we've been permissive with all these types of behaviors. It's not a big deal because culture says they're a normal part of who we are. But can I tell you this morning that food was created for the sacred? Food's actually a a sacred, if you go especially to the Old Testament, you will see, well even New Testament, you will see that a lot of the cultural nuances concerning food and how it was taken in was very sacred. There was was grand pieces about it and how, how you prepared it and how it was brought to you and what it was. It was beautiful. It was majestic. There was all of these rituals around it, this idea that there was deep spirituality rooted in our food. And I don't know about you, but I think our generation especially is searching for the sacred. Come on, how many of you would agree with me this morning that we are searching for meaningful things? I think this generation, we're searching for meaningful realities. And the funny thing is, is that we have it sitting right in front of us and we still don't understand how meaningful or beautiful it can be. Everybody shout food. Come on, turn your neighbor and say, I like food. So historically speaking, gluttony was divided into more specific categories to bring even further definition to the issue. There was a saying in the Middle Ages that went like this, too daintily, too sumptuously, too hastily, too greedily, too much. And then a modern day version of this statement would categorize gluttony in four different categories. I want to talk about this really quick. They're going to be up on the screen. Check this out. So gluttony was then defined like this, four different breakdowns. This is how it goes. The glutton of more. The glutton of more says, I just can't get enough. Just can't get enough. Right? (laughs) See, this is the category that people typically think of when we think about gluttony. It's overeating. It's pushing past the point of fullness. It's never wanting the enjoyment to end. Those in this category ignore any consequences to our health. Bloating, sickness, sleeplessness, soreness, tiredness, heartburn, inflammation. Yes, I'm full, but I'm going back for more. We know this one, we can, we can see this one play itself out. And the funny thing is, is that for many of us, if this is our only definition for it, we give it a pass. Say, I'm not. Some of us sitting in here today across all of our services go, right, no, check this out. Here's the second one. The glutton of lavish. Says, I only want the most delicious of things. I only want the most delicious of things. It's those that have these overriding preferences in our life. 
because we want to enjoy the greatest things. Food has no utility. It's all about enjoyment, all right? I have this problem when it comes to steak. <laughs> Come on, somebody. We, we had... We had top sirloin in our house the other day. And I'm going to be honest with you. Me and her have had an argument about this before because I'm like, I don't want top sirloin. I want a ribeye or I want New York. That's what I want. It is the best cut of meat. And if you don't eat meat in here, I'm sorry, but this is the best illustration I got for you. She's like, no, no, no. It's so expensive. I know. But if you're going to eat a steak, you might as well go all out. Right? She's like, what? What kind of thinking is that? At the end of the day, we're dealing with this issue right here because I think this. And she's like, no, 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 no. And so we settle. Or I settle. And she's like, it's just me. Come on, let's be honest. We've done this before. We want what we want. The greatness of how we want it. The glutton of lavish. Here's the third one. The glutton of choosy. I need it to be the way that I want. Come on, you ever been there before? Everybody just look forward. You ever been in the restaurant with somebody like this before? Right? They're like, okay, so um, I want a burger. No bread, no lettuce, no cheese. Can you cut it vertically for me? <laughs> Flip it on its head. I want half a tomato, four sesame seeds. The fifth one, I get bloated. Like, <laughs> hey, come on, everybody. And then you're sitting over here, like hiding behind your menu. And then the waiter comes over to you, like, what, do you, what would you like? And you're like, everything. Just give me everything. Just put everything in front of me. I'm sorry for that. <laughs> this one's tricky because the issue behind it is. I want control. It's about getting things just so. Is a burger cut vertically a bad thing? No. It's what's behind it. Come on, am I talking to anybody here today? And then it comes, and it's not completely vertical. I can't have this. Please take it back. Come on. It's the glutton of choosy. Here's the fourth one. The glutton of miserable. The glutton of miserable. This person says, I don't think food ought to be enjoyed. It's just fuel. This category demonizes any excitement over tasting or experiencing food. These people see deriving any pleasure from food or drink as being wrong. It's strictly utilitarian. It's, it's not allowed to have feeling associated with it. It's interesting that one of Jesus' first miracles was turning water into wine. Choice wine. Because at the end of the day, so many of us, we, we can do this. We can say, well, food, uh, food is fuel. That's all it is. It's food. Just put it in my body. And it's going to fuel me. That's all, that's all it is. It doesn't matter what it tastes like. Just give me what I need to go. And if you smile during eating, that's bad. You're losing its purpose. It's just to fuel you. I've met these people. I have friends like this. We're looking at all these. It's getting quiet in here. <laughs> And church this morning, why? Because, well, gluttony is alive and well. Right? Because here's the truth. God has a plan and a design for every area of our lives. And his design includes health that is found in freedom and not finding oneself in bondage to the things that he's actually created for our good and our enjoyment. So this message is not a message about don't eat food. Right? So we walked out after the second service and they're like, well, I guess Thanksgiving's off. 
<laughs> and it was in jest, but we can go there. We can go to these weird extremes. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about at the end of the day is having a sacred view on our food. So now we're going to figure out how we do that. How do we have this idea? How do we work through this issue of gluttony? How do we overcome gluttony? And I think one of the greatest ways to overcome dysfunction is by understanding design. Can we work with me on that? We overcome any dysfunction that we face, view, anything like that. We overcome it by understanding design. So I want to, I want to look at the design behind food from a biblical perspective. Here we go. Every shot number one. one. Here's the first thing. The first thing is this. Food is a seed that we sow and a harvest that we reap. Food is a seed that we sow and a harvest that we reap. And I'm not talking about planting our own food, okay? Just for clarity's sake. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 says this, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a person sows, he will also reap. Because the one who sows to his flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So this, this portion of Scripture, many of us have heard it in different ways. We've heard it talked about resources, giving, da, 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 so on. But this is actually the idea that what we sow, it's a biblical and spiritual law, that what we sow is what we reap. And so here's the idea, is that food is a seed that we sow, and it is a harvest that we reap. So this dude named Augustine, he had some statements concerning this, and this is what he would say. We need to double check that our desire for pleasure isn't interfering with our own physical good, the good of health. In other words, food is designed to make us healthy. Come on, somebody. And how many of you would agree with me? This is not a trick question. Health is important. Right? Everybody should have put their hand up right there. Health is important. That God actually does desire us to be healthy. Here's why. Because legacy is attached to health. Legacy is attached to health. At the end of the day, I want to be around for my grandchildren. I want to be around for my great-grandchildren. And I want both grand and great-grand to have to keep up with me still. Why? Because health is important. That's what we're saying. Is that it's a seed that we... So, does that mean that I can't have a bag of Sour Patch Kids every now and then? No, uh uh-uh, you ain't taking those away from me. (laughs) That's not what we're saying. To eat or not to eat, that is the question. The answer is to eat. But we need to be aware, if it's a sacred practice, we need to be aware of what we are putting in. See, being physically healthy is what gives us the energy to get up every day and accomplish what God has for us. Come on, somebody. At the end of the day, that's what health is. Um, How many of you, show a hand, uh, never mind, I won't go do that, okay. How many of you have bought a car before or know somebody bought a car? And then you watch them drive into a parking lot or you've been in the car with them and they drive to the furthest place in the parking lot. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You drive way out here, you park your car, and then you walk like 10 steps. <laughs> then you keep on walking, right? And you know that the person is very fascinated with the car. They care about their car. They want to make sure that nobody dings their car. Nobody parks next to their car. Why? Because they care about that car. How many of you know that that same person, they are not putting propane in a gas tank? How many of you know that they're not putting bubble bath in the oil container? Why? Because they care about what goes into the car. Because what goes into the car allows the car to get them from point A to point B. And at the end of the day, God has created us with point A to point B and point B to point C. And at the end of the day, I never want to be the type of person that doesn't allow myself to walk into the fullness of God because I haven't, I haven't treated things as a seed and harvest. Am I talking to anybody today? 
Why would I do it with my body? So this is what Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 13. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything's beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food. Like I said, nobody talks about this stuff. This is not a message, hopefully, and from what I've heard from people all weekend long, they're like, man, I've never heard about this subject in this way. This is freeing. Because at the end of the day, when we understand that, like, food is sacred because it brings health to our lives. But it's not just about the food that we're eating, it's about why are we eating it. Because if I'm eating to fix, then I'm not eating for health. Number two, the second thing is this. The table is for community, not just for consumption. The table is for community, not just for consumption. 1 Corinthians 10, 23-27 says this. Everything is permissible. So he goes on to say this. So Paul said it in 1 Corinthians 6. He'll say it in 1 Corinthians uh, 10. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of a, another person. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market without raising questions for the sake of conscience. Since the earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, if any, if any of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go eat, check this out, eat everything that is set before you without raising questions for the sake of conscience. So what was happening is Paul was addressing this issue is that people in this church were being invited over to other people's house who were not uh, believers, they did not have faith in this way, and they were sitting at tables meant for communion, rejecting the very thing that was being provided for them. And Paul is saying, you are messing up your ability to have true and authentic community where you can reach people because you're rejecting it based on what? He's trying to say that at the end of the day, the table is for community, not just consumption. But many times, especially in our culture, we just look at the table for consumption. We just want food. I want to eat. I want to run. I want to go. And for many of us, if we're very honest, we're not even sitting at tables anymore. It's constantly on the go. Uh, somebody asked me a little while ago, why, do, why do, we, do we have small groups? I said, yeah, they're called table groups. I said, why do we call them table Why don't we just small, small groups? That's easy. Everybody can grab a hold of that. Why are you called table groups? Because at the end of the day, what we've done is we've lost the art of community around a table. So we said, let's be super intentional with this idea. A table group is a place where we intentionally gather around a table and we have community together. It doesn't matter how big or small the table is. I've got a big table in my house. Big table. Seats a lot of people. Why? Because I have moments of community where it's filled and there's laughter and there's joy and there's all those things. And then we have this other little tiny table that's right next to our kitchen because sometimes we just move food from kitchen to table and we eat it together as a small family. But what we're saying is that there's two points of community in my house. Larger community and smaller community. See, the table is meant for community, not just for consumption. And we've lost the sacred if we just see the table as a place we eat our food. Augustine said this, double check that the good of others isn't being compromised by our own cravings. Let me illustrate it this way. Last night, my, uh, my middle daughter was at a sleepover, 
And so it was just me, Erica, Eliana, and Justice. And so I made dinner last night. We sat down at the table after, after preparing all the, all the food. We sat down, and the three of us started just going for it. Just like heads down, food in, right? That's like the journey. And all of a sudden, Eliana, she's two years old. This is what she says. And she's, she's making the same line. She goes, she goes, pray Jesus. Pray Jesus. That's her way of saying, let's pray. Because you all started shoving food in your mouth. <laughs> and our two-year-old's the spiritual one. <laughs> pray Jesus. And so we go, hey, do you want to pray, Eliana? And she goes, yeah. Pray Jesus. Good food. Something like that. Amen. <laughs> and then we're all down. <laughs> Eating the food. What, what is she seeing? Well, we've done our best. Are we perfect at it? No. But we've done our, me- our best to model that our table is first and foremost a place of community before it's a place of consumption. It's a place where we say, Jesus, be at the center of this act. Be at the center of this meal. Am I, am I talking to anybody in here today? Like, I want us to understand this thing because it's a beautiful part of our faith. It's a beautiful part. So we've got to see our tables as places of community, not just consumption. That's why we actually say all the time, like, hey, like, invite somebody over. Go out to, to eat. Get around a table with one another. If you ever want to have and engage in the greatest part of our faith, it's being in community with one another. It's sitting down with one another and engaging in conversation. Engaging in, in, in learning about people and learning their stories. It's called community. Come on, ever shout community? community. Alright, here's the third thing. The last thing is this. Is that we were made for more, so we must eat for more. Come on, somebody. That's a good one right there. Like, finally, we got to it. <laughs> it says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control and everything. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. So I do not run like one who runs aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline my body and I bring it under strict control so that after preaching to others, I myself will not be disqualified. See, many of us diet, exercise, watch what we eat simply for the sake of our looks. That is actually feeding into this concept of gluttony. But when was the last time we decided to eat in order to accomplish our purpose? When was the last time that we gave consideration to everything that God has called us to accomplish in life? This is the question that Augustine asked. He said, is our eating a daily discipline ordered to equipping ourselves to live up to the identity and carry out the mission that he has for us? Here's the question. Is it simply for pleasure or is it for purpose? I don't know how long it was, maybe about five, five years ago. I've told this story before, but um, I think it bears repeating for the sake of, of this message. Um, before we moved into this building in Sandy, we had a building in Murray. It was a small, small building. And I'll never forget this day because it, it changed us radically. And uh, I remember preaching, there was about 60 people in the room. Small little stage, small little, small little building, one service. And I remember preaching and I was going for it. And I don't know... You ever had like this weird out-of-body experience where you're kind of like going, but then you feel like God's dealing with you? So you feel like you're on autopilot? Like stuff's just being downloaded into you? This was that moment for me. 
And I'll never forget, it was almost as if I was looking at myself doing this. And I'm like going back and forth on the stage like I do all the time. I was probably laying down again and getting back up again and (laughs) doing all these things. And I remember that I was like stopping intermittently and like huffing and puffing. And I I was worn out. At this point, I weighed somewhere between about 220. 215, 225, higher. We've looked, at, we've looked at some pictures the other day and some of you have seen the pictures in like anniversary moments. There's audible gasps because it's like that guy looks totally different. And I remember preaching and my mouth's just going and words are coming out and I'm, I'm processing through this reality right here. And it was, it was God was just working on me in this as I'm huffing and puffing and I'm exhausted and I'm sweating and all this stuff was going on. And it was like God was dealing with my heart with this idea. How are you going to run the race that I have for you if you are barely competing in it now? It wasn't about my looks. It wasn't about my pants size. It wasn't about any of those different things. It was about the energy that I was exerting because at that time I didn't have, we didn't have the disciplines in our life that we needed to in order to run the race that was before us. Here's what I want to let every single one of us know in here today is that every single person in this room, whether you believe it or not, God has a crazy amazing design for your life. He's got a crazy awesome plan for your life. And we've got to talk about these things at the end of the day because you and I have been called to run a race. And the crazy part is, is that for many of us, we potentially don't get to run the race that we've been called to because we're not running it in a way that a racer should run. So Paul says, I I discipline myself. Hard truths as I got into this. I know we've sat and studied, Erica preached downtown today, and we've sat and studied this message out just over and over and over and over again. It's not about what you eat, it's about why we're eating. And I've eaten because I've been bored. I've done what I've done because I've been sad. Come on. I've done what I've done because I haven't been disciplined. All these different things. And at the end of the day, I want to be the guy that runs the race. Come on, is there anybody in church this morning that wants to run their race? I want to run my race. Like four of you put your hands up. Fantastic. That's awesome. <laughs> come on, let's try this again. Who wants to run the race that God has for him? Yeah, come on. And it's not just this issue. Remember, there's been seven weeks of this series. Yeah. And it's all of these things. If we, if we put a bow on this message, on this series, it's all of these things impede the process that God has for us, the life that he designed for us. And so that's why we talked about these things. But I gotta let us know something. At the end of the day, when it comes to this food issue, it will never satisfy us. It will never do, food will never do for us what we're ultimately looking for. I wanna finish with this scripture John chapter 4. Verses 1 to 14 says this, When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but the disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. Uh, Funny enough, our church, the well, is named because of this scripture right here. We called the well the well because of this scripture right here. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. 
because his disciples had gone into a town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? He says, you aren't greater than the father, uh, our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from himself and his sons and livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water, listen, will get thirsty again. But in fact, the water that I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. You'll never have to thirst again. The problem, like this woman at the well that many of us face, is that we're reaching for things and we're trying to find things to fill us that will never fill us. We're needing to be filled. We're desiring to be filled. But at the end of the day, the things that we are grasping for aren't filling us. And there's only one person who fills us. Come on, somebody, and his name is Jesus. That's what this whole thing is about. If I were to break this series down to the simplest form possible, here's what I would call it. I would call it, we look for everything but Jesus to give us what we need. But I wonder if today we could stop doing that and we could just simply say, Jesus, you are everything that I need. And in doing so, be filled in such a way that we never, ever feel empty again. In Jesus' name.